Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, our weekly highlights podcast, serving up an appealing platter of prose from this week's coverage. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. On your menu this week... Translators struggle against technological change. France embraces positive psychology and why Hong Kong's dolphins are in peril. But first, jailbreak was our cover line this week. A lot is known about prisoner reform, but not enough is done. America's prisons are at bursting point and they're failing. Our cover leader explained how to make them work. At some point, the costs of incarceration start to outweigh the benefits. Prisons are expensive. Cells must be built, guards hired, prisoners fed. The inmate, while confined, is unlikely to work, support his family or pay tax. As the world's leading prison filler, America passed the point of negative return long ago. Its incarceration rate rose fivefold between 1970 and 2008. Relative to its population, it now locks up seven times as many people as France, 11 times as many as the Netherlands, and 15 times as many as Japan. A clear dissonance exists between punishment and prevention, we explained. A 10-year sentence costs 10 times as much as a 1-year sentence, but is nowhere near 10 times as effective a deterrent. Criminals do not think 10 years into the future. If they did, they would take up some other line of work. One study found that each extra year in prison raises the risk of re-offending by six percentage points. To find out how existing reforms could be applied the world over, do pick up a copy of this week's issue. We turn now to our Europe section and to France, where the national ambiance is shifting from resolutely gloomy to cautiously cheerful. An article explained the reasons behind the shift in mood. The French like to think of themselves as a miserable lot. Voltaire taught them that optimism is for the naive. Jean-Paul Sartre made ennui chic. Best-selling French psychology books include such titles as Too Intelligent to be Happy. Polls consistently rank the French among the world's most despondent. But now upbeat seems to be the mentality du jour. During his election campaign, Emmanuel Macron, the new president, was the candidate of La Positive Attitude, said Damon Mayafre, a linguistics researcher. And this positive elan could translate into solid growth. Business confidence in May already showed signs of recovery. Perhaps the French will take the power of positive thinking seriously, now that positive thinking is in power. We are on marche now over to our China section, where an article took a look at the plight of some of Hong Kong's most precious residents. Dolphins are being built out of their habitats. The dolphin is clever, cute, kind, active and inoffensive. Exactly the character of Hong Kong. So said a local member of a committee appointed by China to oversee the end of British rule over Hong Kong in 1997. 
The body had decided that the pink dolphin, a rare type sometimes seen cavorting in the territory's harbour, would be a mascot of the handover festivities. But as an indication of post-colonial progress, the animal's fate isn't too encouraging. Hong Kong's dolphins are in perilous decline. In a survey conducted in 2003, scientists spotted 188 dolphins around Lantau Island, the animal's main habitat in Hong Kong and the site of the airport. In 2015, they saw just 65. The threat here doesn't come from fishing or from pollution, but the relentless building of megastructures, including one of the world's longest bridges. Before the British left, they built an airport on 938 hectares—that's 2,300 acres of reclaimed land. A new runway is planned that will require 650 more. The dolphins are disappearing, leaving a bitter irony in their wake. On July 1st, Hong Kong will mark 20 years of Chinese rule. On the harbour front, a sign promoting a celebratory event features a bright pink winking dolphin and a blue-coloured friend. If the government wants to make use of delphinoid imagery in another 20 years, it will be embarrassing if none is left. Flipping over to our Middle East and Africa section, an article explored another facet to rampant construction. This time in Nairobi. Africa's tallest building will soon creep up into the Kenyan capital's skyline, but does that signal the end of the country's boom? Out of a vast hole in the ground in Upper Hill, a neighbourhood full of government offices, will rise two towers, the taller some 300 metres high, and named the Pinnacle. For comparison, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, the world's tallest building, is 828 metres high. While much of Africa is in economic trouble, Kenya has been growing consistently. Nairobi's skyline is dotted with cranes. New suburban housing estates are flourishing at the edge of the city. However, not everyone is confident that it can last. Signs suggest a recent property boom is slowing. Prime residential rents fell by six percent in 2016, according to Knight Frank, another property firm. In some corners of Nairobi, half-built houses have sat for months with no progress. It is not clear that there are enough Kenyans who can afford to rent them. Over to Cuba now, where a widely grown weed is being turned from troublesome to profitable. Marabou has long been a scourge for the country's farmers, but locals are finding more lucrative uses for the pest. In our Money Talks podcast this week, our correspondent Roseanne Lake explained why the United States is buying up so much of the stuff. Well, we like to barbecue in the United States, and it just so happens that marabou can be used to make carbon, a very high-quality, non-toxic type of carbon that lights very easily, and that's already been exported by Cuba to places in the Middle East and in Europe. In the Middle East, it's very popular for shisha because it lights easily and has low toxicity. Italians love it in pizza ovens. The Spanish use it a lot in meats and for vegetables. And the U.S. is now importing it. It's being described as hopefully what will be the poster child of more exports from Cuba to the United States. In Babbage, our science and technology podcast, we dived into the world of synthetic biology. Biologists have long been able to engineer bacteria to produce complex compounds like sugars. Now they're turning to coloured lights to control what they produce. Here's science correspondent Matt Kaplan describing the potential for these disco bacteria. Let's say they create a sugar when they're hit by green light, and then they produce something else when they're hit by red light. That means you're able to say, "Okay, folks, create this now." 
And with kind of strobed colored lighting, you can get the bacteria to produce complex chemical compounds in their soup, and those compounds interact and create what you want them to create. Heading back to this week's print issue and into our books and art section, our columnist on language, Johnson, turned his attention to the woes of one pleasingly intellectual profession. Many industries are set to be uprooted by the rise of increasingly intelligent machines, and translation is no exception. Translation can be lonely work, which may well be why most translators choose the career out of interest, not because they crave attention. Until recently, a decent translator could expect a steady, tidy living too. But unwelcome change is looming over these studious scribes. Going online has resulted in fierce global competition that has put enormous downward pressure on prices. Translators can either hustle hard for more or better paid work, which means spending less time translating, or choose an agency that fights for the work for them, but which also takes a cut. Adding to this human competition comes a more existential pressure. The rise in higher quality machine translation. Those who offer rock-bottom prices for translation are almost certainly using translation software and then giving it a quick edit for accuracy and readability. By and large, the big translation agencies are excited about technology and the possibilities of scale it offers them. What worries the translators themselves, though, is that the future may lie in nothing more intellectually pleasing than this kind of clean-up. But there's one area of translation to seek refuge from the winds of change. For one, literary translation is under no threat. Sales of translated fiction rose by more than 600% in Britain between 2001 and 2015 and have been growing strongly in America too. Nobody thinks a novel can be translated by a machine. Let's hope podcasts can't be presented by them either. That's the end of this week's Tasting Menu. Keep sending in your feedback by email to radio at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.